0: Well, hey, everybody. Good morning, and welcome on out to Resurrection City Church. I hope that you are doing great this uh, Sunday morning, um, pre-Thanksgiving. I hope all your Thanksgiving plans are all set, and you're ready to go, and you're excited for Thanksgiving. I hope you're. I really hope you're excited for Thanksgiving. Um, I know sometimes it can be like a, a pain in the butt to get ready for holidays and stuff, and I hope that's not you this Sunday morning. So, um, my name is Joel, I'm one of the pastors here at Resurrection City, and I just want to say thank you for uh, being here with us this morning, whether you're a regular attender or you're just visiting us today. We are so glad to have you out with us worshiping and then also spending some time with us in the book of Daniel. Uh, we uh, have been in the book of Daniel throughout uh, most of the fall, and we're going to be wrapping up the series actually next week as we head into Advent um, uh, um, uh, time, so we'll be doing a little Advent series. but what we're what we're what we've been talking about in Daniel is this and the second half of the book has been mainly filled with visions. So the first half of the book is really practical, it's narrative uh, driven and it kind of presents a model for us to how we live in exile, but the second half of the book is all about these big weird visions. That Daniel experiences that are kind of about what God is doing in the future. And we take a little bit of a break in today's passage where we are not actually seeing a vision, but it's still uh, weird, okay? Because we're talking about a parallel spiritual conflict, right? We're getting into the spiritual world of angels and demons and all that kind of weird stuff. Um, and Daniel takes a little detour to explain something that's kind of going on behind the scenes of what's been going on in the rest of the book. Um, and so we kind of tend to tiptoe around this stuff as Christians, if we're, if we're honest, in the West, right? We, we've kind of inherited a world that, is, uh, that, that thinks of like the devil and demons and angels and, um, you know, magic and the supernatural world. All this stuff is kind of like just weird and we don't want to deal with it. We would rather deal with stuff that we can see and we can control and that we understand better. And so, um, so we just don't talk about this very often right? Um, and, and it's, it's kind of weird, because actually, if you go outside the church, like you would think in a very secular world, everyone would be atheists, right? If you're not in a church or, or some other house of worship, you're probably an atheist. But that's actually not true. Most people who are, are non-Christians, non-believers, would, would identify as like spiritual, but not religious. So they're actually very open to the idea of a spiritual world. They're just not sure they want to engage with it by being a part of a church or something like that okay so as a society we're actually pretty open to this stuff which is kind of interest you know or it's not that surprising right because if you just look at like the top grossing movies of the last decade or or two decades like they're almost all about like stuff that goes beyond Like the normal mundane world we live in, right? Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, you got the Force going on there. Everyone loves the Force and Jedi, Uh, Avengers movies, right? It's all about kind of going beyond like the the normal day to day stuff that we see. We're really fascinated by that stuff. And so it's actually really interesting to really dive into it when we, we talk about it in the Bible. Um, in, in the book, um, Reviving Old Scratch, is written by a psychiatrist ba- named Richard Beck. And he kind of describes himself at the beginning of the book as a disenchanted, more liberal Christian. Someone who kind of thought as like the devil and that kind of parts of the Bible is just parts like not really real. It's maybe more symbolic. It, it's kind of referring more to human um, psychosis or different things. Until he started uh, working, helping out in prison ministries. And he said that totally flipped his understanding because when he was starting to engage like in really dark places like that, he started to see like real darkness coming out that he couldn't explain as just human, as just related to human uh, psychology. And so that kind of actually saved his faith, he talks about in the book. It's really interesting. Now, um, a lot of us don't deal with that type of darkness on a regular basis. I know some of us maybe do in our places of work, but generally we, speaking, we don't. And so the spiritual world seems to be kind of kept at an arm's length. And So we like it when we can kind of uh, unpack stuff in really human, easy-to-understand ways. And in the book of Daniel so far, we've been talking about mostly geopolitical events, right? We've been tying um, the, the specific stories and then the vi- uh, like the visions. We've been trying to really hard to attach them to kingdoms and kings and, and falls of empires vampires and, and the pride of one king causing all this, t- you know, injustice and evil and chaos in the world, and, and, and so, like, we've been trying to root it in very human language and very human stuff, but what happens today is in, in, in our passage, we're going to find out, and it's just like a kind of a pulling back the curtain just slightly, right, just for one chapter, and then the curtain actually gets, gets put, put back together again, and the next vision is very much about, again, what we would just call normal history, Right, But kind of behind the scenes, Daniel shows us that there's like a depth to what's going on here that we would not have normally guessed. And so it's really interesting to do that, and so we're just going to dive into that today. So I hope you brought your parachute, because like it might be a bumpy landing. It's kind of some weird stuff, all right? But we're just going to go into it, and we're going to see what's there. We believe it's true. We believe it's God's word, even if it doesn't always make total sense to us, all right? So we're just going to try and do that today, and I, I hope you're ready to do that. So let's just jump into the passage. We're in Daniel 10. We're going to start in verses 1 to 3. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, so this is another time uh, that's going on from the last vision in chapter 9, um, uh, of uh, Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was also called Belteshazzar. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat, uh, or no wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all. Until the three weeks were over. Lotion just would have helped his skin to not be so cracked in like the really dry, deserty area. So he's kind of fasting. He's waiting for God to show up and, and give him a vision um, to help him understand the previous visions that he's had. Because um, every time Daniel gets a, a vision, he's just more confused, right? So he kind of gets these helpful visions that, that go along. And this last one is we're not going to talk about it today. We're going to talk about it next week. And that's chapter 11 and 12 uh, specifically. But this is kind of setting up. The vision. This is like the story of how the vision comes to Daniel, and there's a little bit of like relative inf- or, or sorry relevant uh, information that we're gonna get through Daniel's interaction with the bringer of the vision, which is a, an angel or divine being, and we meet right here. On the on the twenty fourth day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river of the Tigris, I looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen, with a belt of fine gold from. Uphaz around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. Those who were with me, so apparently other people are hanging out with Daniel here, they did not see it. But such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves." So I was left alone gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep my face on the ground. Kind of rude to fall asleep when an angel shows up to speak to you, right? No, he's he's obviously engaging with the, with the angel through this dream. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I am about to speak to you and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God. Your words were heard, and I have come to, come in response to them." But the Prince of Persia of the Persian Kingdom resisted me for 21 days then Michael one of the chief princes came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia now I've come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future uh, for the vision concerns a time yet to come okay so he was like dude I know that you've been like waiting for a response from God and I was coming as fast as I could but I got detained I got held up for a little bit and I was um, battling this this Per, this Prince of the Persian Kingdom he says and and he held me up so I couldn't quite make it there all right so that's weird right like and 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 so we're, we're immediately supposed to understand that this prince of the Persian kingdom is not like you know some kid of the king he's like detaining angels or whatever and he's trying to mess up their official business right this is some sort of spiritual being who who represents Persia that's how what we're supposed to understand here okay so the Persian nation has some apparently some spiritual representative that represents it and and this guy okay or th- this this divine being wants to stop the implementation of the vision which is going to explain as what we'll, we'll find out next week kind of the downfall of Persia as well as some other nations he wants to stop this from happening and so he's trying to stop the uh, the, the prophecy or the vision from being delivered because apparently the deliverance of the prophecy will also result in its implementation, all right? So there's some connection between the delivering of this word and its effect in the real world, okay? And so we don't know what, so some kind of struggle ensues between this, this angel or this being who shows up to Daniel and then this Persian representative. Now, we don't know what the struggle looked like. Okay? We have no clue. Apparently, it took a while. Could have been fencing, could have been rock, paper, scissors, a cooking contest, maybe a really long game of Fortnite. I don't know, right? But for whatever it was, it was keeping these guys busy and, it de- and apparently able to detain this divine being. Um, maybe it's Gabriel. Who, who knows who it is that actually shows up. But your guess is as good as mine as to what's taking place here. But just know that like, there's some conflict and there's someone who wants to stop this uh, vision from being delivered to Daniel. Now, while he was saying this to me, I I, I bowed down with my face toward the ground and was speechless." Then one who looked like a man touched my lips, and I opened my mouth, and, uh, and, uh, and I opened my mouth and began to speak. I said to the one standing before me, "I am overcome with anguish because of the vision, my lord, and I feel very weak. How can I, your servant, talk with you, my lord? My strength is gone, and I can hardly breathe." So, the, so the presence of this, uh, this angel and the revelation of the conflict are just really overwhelming to Daniel, okay? and, and it could be that he's like he's scared. That, you know, the curtain being pulled back here is a, whoa. There's a lot more going on here than I had guessed before. Um, or he's just disturbed to learn about the opposition or it doesn't seem like he's had a chance to, to see the vision yet so I don't, know, I don't know if the vision is the thing that disturbs him here. It's a little bit confusing what it is but he's just, he's not okay after all this. Okay, we continue on here. Again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Daniel, or, do not be afraid, you are highly esteemed. He said, peace, be strong now, be strong. When he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, speak my Lord, since you have given me strength. So he said, do you know I have come to you? I have come to you. I'm sorry, I will, soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I go, the prince of Greece will come, but first I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one supports me against them except Michael, your prince, all right? So apparently Michael's helping out here, Michael's another angel, and apparently the prince of Greece is going to get involved in this struggle in some way, we just... It's, it's all very confusing, right? And the and the and the angels kind of like, oh, here's what's going on, blah blah blah, and and we're all like, wait, what? Like, can you go back a few steps and like maybe explain, I don't know, all of this to me, like a little bit more? Okay, so, um, he's like, I got to get back, and I gotta, I just got to start implementing this thing, all right? Which means this conflict's going to resume, and apparently that has something to do with the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece. All right, and so he'll deliver the vision in the next chapter. Like I said, we'll walk through that next week as we wrap up uh, the book of Daniel. But what I want to do now is just kind of I want to camp out on this spiritual reality. All right, because there is this is not something we see often in the Bible, but we see it often enough to get at least somewhat of a picture. Okay, so I want to try to walk through that a little bit today. Um, Now I think when we think of the spiritual world, like back even in the time of. of of Daniel and in the New Testament, like there's a lot of focus on the spiritual world, right? The Greek gods are really a big deal, but even them, they kind of were off on their own mountain. They kind of did their own stuff. They, you know, would occasionally come and mess things up for us humans, but otherwise the humans just kind of had to make sure they got their sacrifices in on time to the different gods and make sure that they were appeased and didn't just come and mess with them. And otherwise they just kind of left them alone. Maybe they'd do something behind the scenes to help the, the people out, but it was a, a fairly like a separated world. Right? And, and uh, along that time, you have Plato who comes along, and he, he's really big in dualism between the spiritual world and the physical world. And that is something that has stuck with us even until now. And, and even in the first century, I think we think we're, we're really smart and new. We've come up with this idea that maybe gods don't exist, right? Or if they do, they just are kind of far off and we don't deal with them. But actually, that's a really old philosophy called Epicureanism. The Epicurea, Epicureans were the first people to kind of, first deists to say, like, you know whatever is going on in the spiritual world, if it even exists, it doesn't really have much to do to, with me. Let's just kind of pretend they're not around, because what's what's the worst that can happen? They're just not going to do anything, right? Because that's what they do. So um, for us to kind of think of a big bridge between the two worlds is not like a new or not not a new thing, right? But. It, Christianity and Judaism saw these two things as interconnected. So instead of seeing uh, these two worlds as as, disco- as disconnected as like the psychology and the religion department in an academy, they saw it as more interconnected, like like two industries, maybe right? Like just like an a- what an avocado farmer is doing is still is connected to a guacamole salesman, right? Like these two industries, like make you know, growing avocados doesn't really have much to do with like selling the sauce or whatever to a restaurant, but what happens in these two industries overlap and interconnect each other. And if one thing happens in one, it'll have impacts in the other industry, right? Two different realms. You don't necessarily think about the same things on a day-to-day basis, but interwoven. And that's kind of the picture we get in the the Bible, right? These two things are interconnected. You don't necessarily know what's going on, and your concerns are different in, in one realm, right? But it has a resonance and a depth to it. In the other realm and so we're just going to talk about that a little bit and I want to open up some other stuff here that the Bible says about it you want to make the slide there we go okay so right so these two worlds a spiritual world represented by Gabe and Mike and the prince of Persia is interconnected with the physical world okay so how does that work or why is it like like what it is Now, there's several passages in the Old Testament we can go to, and in the New Testament, too, that kind of give us a glimpse as to what the resonance is here for it. So some of the big ones are Psalm 82, uh, Deuteronomy 4, 19-20, and Deuteronomy 32, 8-9. I'm not going to make you read all those. I'll just kind of explain what's going on in them. So in Psalm 82, we find this picture of God, and he's speaking to other gods. The same word, actually, Elohim is used to describe both of these people. All right, they're the groups of them. And they get translated as sons of the Most High or sons of God. So if you ever hear those phrases in your Old Testament, that's what it's referring to. This sort of divine council is what scholars call it. A gathering of Elohim or the sons of God. Now, these other divine beings who are part of this council... Uh, are like God's staff team. He's the most high, right? He is the one who is, is in charge of everything, and he's directing them to go do different things, right? It's still his agenda, but these guys kind of help out. They kind of help make, make things happen for him. Now, at a certain point, we find out in Psalm 82, a certain group of the Elohim were corrupted in some way. Um, you know, like, like, one, like if, if we think of it like a company, right? They're like his staff team. One of the people thought, boy, I could run this now, I could do a lot better if I just went off and did a startup of my own, right? I could, I, whatever the product here is, I could probably do it better. And I would sure like it if I got all the glory as well. And so, so like they went off and they started their own thing and they got corrupted and, and, and stole some of the employees. And so there's a sort of fall that went on uh, in the spiritual world as well. Okay, we don't know when this happened. We have no clue what it looked like, but we just see that it happened. Psalm 82 tells us about this corrupted group of of, um, of them. And so what happens is like, God renders judgment on them because they are apparently apparently in their role as inheritors of uh, or inheritors of nations is what we're going to find out they have not pursued justice they've actually made everything a lot worse in their coming down and working through nations and so at some point God divides up the world into these like cosmic geographical lines that get drawn Michael Heiser in his book Unseen Realm calls it this like these cos- cosmic geographical lines are drawn and God tells them in Psalm 82, listen, while you're still divine, right, while you're, while you're still Elohim, you're going to die like mortals because of, your, because of what's happened. This is my judgment on you because in your roles, again, we are totally not privy to any of this stuff, but in your roles of overseeing uh, geographic um, breakdowns of, of the world, you've, you've screwed everything up. And so my judgment's going to be on you. Now, we find out that their rebellion is parallel with human rebellion, all right? And this, we see the overlap right away in the very beginning in the book of Genesis in chapter three when the snake shows up and says to Adam and Eve, tries, you know, our, our ancestors, hey, um, you know, why don't you make the jump with me here, right? This is better off if, if you do this with me here and, and it'd be better if you guys kind of came along with us and rejected God, try to be like God too, right? Wouldn't that be better off? And so there is this like attempt by this, rogue member of the divine council to try and break things up in God's world too, in this other part of God's world, which we would call the physical world or the human world, all right? And so humans also do not pursue God's, or do not pursue justice, right? They do not pursue God, worship him, and so they as well have judgment brought upon them. Now, God's response to all of this is to uh, make an inheritance of his own, just like all of these other nations have some representative over them, some... Elohim, some son of God who's, who's overseeing them. Um, God decides to take his own nation, and he, which he calls his inheritance. This is in Deuteronomy 32. And, and, and that's Israel. And so this is like his holy ground now where his agenda is going to get worked through for the world to try to redeem and undo the work of these other corrupt Elohim in the world. He's going to do the same thing himself. And so Israel is really important um, whenever we see this happen. And by having people who worship him that, and who spread that worship out into the world by, by doing good, by, by making other nations see the glory of worshiping Yahweh instead of worshiping these other gods and goddesses that oversee. Um, that, that impacts those, those Elohim who rule over them. Okay. This is all weird stuff, right? And, and, and so for community group this week, I actually... Have some videos for you guys to watch. Hopefully, they'll break some of this down a little bit more, and you guys can just talk about it. Because I realize I'm th- maybe throwing a lot at you here, and it's like I said, it's kind of weird stuff. And the curtain hardly ever gets pulled back. And when it does, you're like, "Close the curtain! Close the curtain!" That's really odd. Okay, we're gonna just d- we're just gonna deal with that in community group a little more. Okay, um, so I want to talk a little bit application here, and as we do, we'll kind of expand on some of this idea and see how what plays out in the New Testament. All right, um, uh, the um, Oh, hang on. These slides are all messed up. Sorry about that. All right, so um, first point of application that I have for you today is... is talking about how we can't fl- like flatten the cross out, right? So one of the things that we find out as we approach the New Testament is that God is doing something about the, the messed up um, world that has, that has kind of resulted from these corrupt sons of God who have gone and, who have, and have, have worked out their evil into our space as well by also the same means of the cross. Now in our circles that we, we tend to run in, Um, the reform circles, we have like a really strong laser-like focus on talking about um, our sin and our guilt and how the cross interacts with that, right? And it's really appropriate that we talk about that often. The Bible talks about that most often, okay? But we also find at times that the cross impacts the rebellion of these other uh, spiritual beings as well. All right, so what God is doing there, because of the interplay between the two realms, what happens on the cross impacts the spiritual world too. Okay, so all of these fallen, uh, corrupt Elohim, sons of God—you know what we would call demons, right—or or or Satan or the Satan—are are outworking this fallen evil agenda in the world. Through humans, right? That's their goal is to use humans to do it. And so our rebellion, their rebellion and their corruption continues through us. We unwittingly become complicit in that as we also reject God and and, and go and do the same types of things out in the world. And so through our worship of sex and money and power and pleasure and comfort, whatever it is, right? And these these things that we still worship today are personified in the Old Testament as actual gods, right? You had... the god of, of god, goddess Aphrodite, right? She's the goddess of sex in the ancient world, right? And they worshipped her, but we still worship sex today, too, in the same way, right? The god Mammon, the god Mars, were the gods of money and, and power, and we still worship the same things today, even though we don't call them by that, right? We, we're, we're way more sophisticated in our worship today, right? We got rid of the idols and stuff, but we still do it, too. Nothing has changed, right? And when we do that, we're unwittingly kind of taking part in this sort of spiritual rebellion and giving these things, these things power, and it, we are kept in bondage, right, by this false worship, we get stuck in bondage to these fallen, corrupted Elohim, these demons who kind of parade as gods and goddesses, overseeing these different, um, these different uh, elements of false worship, right, and, now, and, and what happens is like evil and chaos and injustice reign, they just run amok in God's world, now remember I said that God does something about that, God uh, brings justice on us as well as on these corrupted spiritual beings. And, and, and Paul talks about this in different places. He talks about it um, in, in Colossians is one of the places where you see it really come out. And at the very beginning of the letter, it's just kind of one of those, um, one of those like uh, asides, right? Where you're like, Paul, can you please say more about this, please? But he says, he's kind of to sum up a, a big thought he has in chapter one. For he, this is God, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now the word dominion here is translated in other places in the New Testament as like authority, right? Or, or, or what, whatever, a rule or something like that. So what hap- what he's saying is like we are stuck in the authority or the realm, or the power, or the rule of darkness, right? Presided over, again, presumably, because he's going to bring this up in chapter 2. We won't go there, but he talks a little bit about this. um, Ruled by these corrupted, you know, fallen uh, sons of God and, and goddesses, okay? And so what happens is when we get pulled out of that rule, right? We're no longer chained up by our own sin underneath their power they lose their power and God's inheritance gets added to, his, his, the kingdom of the son he loves, right? Remember we talked about how God's response is to create his own uh, inheritance, his own people, and that was Israel in the Old Testament. The church is that people now. Or or actually, we could always say the church was always that group of people. So when we're transferred out of that authority, that kingdom, and into God's kingdom, they lose their power. Right? They lose our, our worship. They lose their ability to work their evil in the world out through us. And we now are part of God's redemption plan for the rest of the world. We're freed from that power. And so what happens is Daniel presents, again, we're talking, go back to Daniel, he pre- presents this very geopolitical war, right? With wars and kings and empires and all the stuff that you'd expect God's response to be created his own army, right? And let's, let's go and, and play the same game, try to kill all the bad guys, right? That's not his response, though. His response, even to the very geopolitical events of history that play out in the book of Daniel, we find is to create a people for himself who are his inheritance, who are his people, and adding people to that, taking power away from these corrupted, fallen sons of gods, these, these demons, and, and even Satan himself. And so we get we get stuck, we get put into this struggle that we don't really understand a lot of times, and that we get hints at. Now the Apostle Paul, um, he talks about this as well, right? So, um, and this comes out in his letters, like we said in Colossians here, this is Paul. And he explains even Paul's own he's a a Pauline scholar even Paul's own interaction with these uh, powers and authorities that's the what's the word Paul tends to use this way so he says Paul is involved in a cosmic struggle he mentions the Satan often enough the Satan is is actually it's not like a title it's not like a name so you'll see some people call it instead of saying Satan he'll say the Satan because Satan just means adversary so it's like the adversary the one who's opposed to God Um, he, he mentions the Satan often enough for us to understand that he sees all kinds of events, large and small, in terms of an implicit ongoing battle in which he is in, involved like a middle-ranking officer on a foggy day. Remembering the orders he has received, able to see and hear some of what's going on, but often finding himself caught up along with the people for whom he is responsible in larger struggles whose overall shape he partially intuits without usually knowing the whole thing or indeed any of it for sure. So he's saying, like, Paul's like this kind of, you know, he's kind of like, I, I don't know, like... Um, Uh, a lieutenant, right, that's right in the middle of the military hierarchy, right, lieutenant or colonel or something like that, you know, below generals and but above privates, right, Um, he's just like, I kind of know what's going on and but I really don't, I'm just kind of following orders in some ways, there there seems to be a bigger struggle going on than what I can really understand but I'm just going to kind of follow that and trust that what I'm doing is a part of the larger strategy of, of the guys who know what they're doing. All right, and so not being able to intuit it doesn't doesn't mean that the actions of the middle ranking officer don't matter, right? They're actually really vital because that's where the plans of the people who do have a bigger picture of what's going on, right, are actually being made manifest. Okay, so it's important that Paul is still following this stuff, still doing what he thinks needs to be done as a part of this larger cosmic struggle, even if he doesn't totally understand the shape of it, all right? And we feel Paul's, you know, we're like, Wait, wait, you're saying Paul didn't even know totally what was going on? Like, how, what are we supposed to do, right? right? So if that's where Paul's at, like we can feel free to feel some mystery about this. All right? He closes the quote here by saying, He knows that the battle's already won, but on his bit of the field, it usually doesn't feel like that. Okay, so the battle's won on the cross, right? This defeat, Paul, Paul talks about this in, in several places, this defeat over the powers and the authorities over Satan has come on the cross decisively, right? But, but the final results of that battle are still being worked out now, and we get wrapped up in that battle as we are saved by God, all right? And so, so we know the battle's won. But it doesn't always feel like that for a couple of reasons. One, because it's still a struggle, man. It's hard. These these things that we find ourselves in conflict with don't like the fact that they've been defeated, and they're they're trying to push back on that as much as they can. All right. I think the second reason why it doesn't always feel like it is because the way we're gonna we're gonna talk about this here in, in a little bit as we kind of wrap up um, the way in which the battle is fought is through what we think of as pretty like normal, everyday things. Things that we wouldn't expect to have the sort of depth of of resonance into this other realm that we would think that they do. Things that we find boring, probably, a lot of times, if we're being honest, actually have a lot more uh, value to them than what we think, all right? And so that's our second point of application here, is we need to realize the deeper impact of what we would call just normal Christian activities, right? So when, when we talk about, like, how we relate to the, to the spiritual world, to this conflict that we find ourselves in whenever that pr- curtain gets pulled back every once in a while, it is we can respond in healthy and unhealthy ways. So an unhealthy way would be the sort of unhealthy obsession with this stuff, right? Um, Where, like you are looking for the devil or Satan behind everything, right? Every bad thing that happens to you on any given day is just Satan trying to mess everything up for you, and he just hates your guts so bad that he gave you a flat tire this morning, right? Everything is, is Satan's fault, right? That's an unhealthy way to do this. It's an, it's an obsessive way to deal with it, and there's a reason that Paul himself and other New Testament authors and, and Old Testament authors rarely bring up this conflict. It's not a normal thing to bring it up right? Because we need to just focus on the regular stuff and not overweight what's going on here, alright? And so a healthy way to do it is to um, just infuse the normal stuff that we do, which has all sorts of resonances to it, some that affect us, some that affect people around us, but infuse those with a depth of meaning and, and, and impact that go beyond that into a world that we don't always see and don't always understand and have that understanding Right When we do stuff that might seem kind of boring or, or um, regular stuff. I think what, what we can do is we can equate, just like normal stuff you do, like getting up and working out or taking my car to get an oil change or or going on vacations, or, or whatever, going to Thanksgiving, right? Whatever it is. This stuff is this normal stuff. We do it all the time. We just kind of go through the motions. We equate that stuff with uh, praying and reading our Bible and trusting God and going to church. We just kind of put them up there as stuff we got to do, and there might be some impact in the world, or it's just... I don't even think about it, I just kind of do that stuff on a regular basis, or, or I don't do it, but I feel like I should, because we think, th- we, we just equate those two things, and we can't do that, right? We can't treat these things as equal, because there's a greater vision for the stuff that we do as Christians that we find has a deeper resonance in the world. And Paul really brings this out for us in Ephesians 6. Uh, chapter, uh, Ephesians 6, verses um, 10 to 18. This is like the famous armor of God section of Scripture. This is actually, I think, the most important place in all of Scripture, probably, to talk about spiritual warfare. Because it's just Paul saying, this is, what, this is how you respond. Okay? He says, I'm paraphrasing here, obviously, but like, he says, you want to know how to really engage with this battle that's raging all around us that we don't really get? You really want to know how to do it? It's actually really simple. Don't overcomplicate it. Do these things. First, he says, seek the truth. Okay? Don't believe propaganda from the enemy. Believe truth because this enemy is going to try to twist everything and, and make it seem like, like that's an untruth and this is really truth. Or he's going to tell you that truth doesn't really matter. Right? All that really matters is your truth. You're just figuring out whatever you think is best. Just go live that out. Okay? Don't seek out truth from God. Okay, don't believe that propaganda, he says. He says, go and preach the gospel to yourself and others. Seek out righteousness, living as new creation. Do not continue on living as someone who's stuck in old creation patterns or habits. Because remember, that's the mark of being stuck in the authority of these creatures that you're fighting against. So live new. Live as someone who is a part of God's inheritance. Um, let faith be your shield, even in what seems like an unending barrage of bullets and, and flaming arrows. Uh, know that your noggin is protected by salvation, right? You don't have to worry about your head getting, getting you know, lopped off or uh, suffering a fatal brain injury because you've got this helmet on, and that's your salvation, all right? And, and he says, and pick up that Bible of yours and, and use it <laughs> occasionally, huh, right? Don't hurt yourself. You can hurt yourself. It's a, it's a weapon, right? Don't hurt yourself, and you can—don't hurt other people, Right? someone picks up a sword and they're just swinging it around for fun like you can hurt people and hurt yourself. The Bible's like that too. We got to know how to use it well. Okay? But we got to use it because it's a part of this larger thing that's going on around us. It has a depth of meaning. And if you do these things consistently, Paul says, and if you train yourselves in ter- train yourselves in them with the diligence of a soldier, you're going to be fine. Okay? You're going to be fine. Just understand that that stuff has a greater depth. Of meaning and importance than you could ever imagine. And don't get bored of doing it. Because as soon as you do, that's when the battle starts to get lost, or the, the, the tide of the battle starts to turn. Now, the like all the all these things Paul says, kind of he's saying two things. Here. One, he's demystifying spiritual warfare, right? Remember, we're we're talking about how this stuff is weird, it's beyond us, right? When the curtain opens, we're like, please close that curtain again. Right? He's demystifying. He's saying, don't overcomplicate it. It's actually pretty simple. Okay? But he's, he's also infusing the normal stuff we do with this sort of cosmic significance, and we have to keep that in mind as we do it. Even if we don't always see the impact of it, we have to believe that it has some deeper resonance into this greater battle than we can realize. The worst thing that you can do is you convince yourself, like, I'll go find my own truth. That's that's the way to go, right? I don't need to seek out truth from God. It might not seem like such a big deal, but, like, he calls it the belt of truth, right? Um, Here's a truth for you. You look kind of stupid when your pants fall down right? Belts hold your pants up. Truth keeps us like, <laughs> from, from looking stupid, right? Uh, w- when you think that you can make your own truth up, you're actually opening yourselves up to lies, right? And Jesus in, in John 8, he, he's talking about the devil and he says, this guy has, he speaks with an accent that is just, <laughs> it's, it's, it's got a, a lying twang to it, right? He can't say anything that doesn't have some twist to it, Right? So when we think we can make up our own truth, we are open to believing things that seem like truth that are actually lies. We're playing right into the hands of our enemy. Uh, it's just reading my Bible, right? This is another thing. If you, The worst thing you can do is convince yourself that it's just sitting down, opening my Bible up and reading it in the morning, or coming to church, listening to a sermon, or going to community group during the week and, and reading through Scripture and, and engaging with it with my other people in my community group— I don't get that much out of it. It's not that big a deal. I've learned a lot of this stuff before. You know, if you learn it once in Sunday school as a kid or you you go to a Bible college and you pick up the big parts of it, that's all you really need, right? I don't need to keep going back to this stuff, right? That's, That's not true, right? You don't convince yourself into believing it because this is the kind of thing that you're continually picking up and using, right? Swords are things you don't need to use once. They're something you need to use all the time. That's what scripture is for us. So we can't get bored of using this stuff because it actually is part of resistance to this battle that is waging around us that we don't always understand. We're like, we're not even middle-ranking officers, right? We're, we're, we're colonels, we're, 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 uh, we're privates or whatever in this army. We don't see it, but it matters. And so we gotta be faithful in going and doing that stuff. And, and, and so what we do at church on Sunday mornings or when we gather people together during the week and different things is us actively being God's inheritance in the world, right? Doing this stuff that seems normal is actually a part of a much bigger conflict than we could realize. And it's important that we keep coming together and it's why we're trying to, Always be doing stuff as a church to bring us together to form around god 's word, to seek out righteousness, to seek out truth uh, to preach the gospel, to love one another. all this stuff matters in this larger conflict okay so so if you don 't think it matters, I really want to challenge you to to believe that it does to understand that it does even if you don 't understand that okay or if you don 't see that happening all right what we 're going to do now is we 're going to enter into a time of worship, worship again it can seem Maybe repetitive, right? To come together and sing. Maybe you don't like singing. Maybe singing is not your thing. You only sing in the shower or in the car or something. But I don't want to sing on other people. Worship is about more than, you know, hearing your own voice. It's about uh, engaging and lifting our hearts higher into worship of the one who has formed us into his inheritance in the world. We're going we're gonna, to uh, um, uh, give a chance for, for giving here if you want. Giving is you. It's not about us getting money. All right, please, seriously. We we are fine without the money. It's about you stepping out in faith that like I don't need this X amount of dollars I'm going to donate to the church. I'm actually believing that God is going to do something having faith trusting him, picking up that shield of faith, right? The lie that says I got to hold on to all my money and protect it and and have a plan for every single red penny of it, right? That's actually giving some of that up, giving it away is you trusting God with it. And then finally communion. We do this every week. For, for lots of reasons, but one of them is because we're remembering that the victory has already been won. We're re- reminding ourselves that the battle has been won on the cross by Jesus, and we don't have to fear it, right? We, we, we take this bread and we drink of this cup in remembrance of the fact that Jesus has defeated the enemy on the cross. And we get to sit back and watch that take place as we worship him. So I'm going to invite the worship team back up. We're going to pray and we're going to enter into that time. You don't have to be a, a member here at Rest City. If you're just visiting with us today, we just ask that you follow Jesus. Please uh, partake in communion with us if that's the case. Lord, we thank you that you have won the battle for us and that um, you ask us to engage in really simple ways. I pray that we would be able to, to understand the larger significance and depth of meaning to this battle we find ourselves in, or you are seeking to reclaim control of the world that you created through us, Lord. You could do it in any sort of way that you wanted, but you chose to involve us and to redeem us instead of destroying us along with all of, all of the other uh, corrupted and fallen spiritual beings that, that are out there that are so adamantly opposed to you, Lord. We thank you that you redeem us and invite us to be a part of the undoing of that rebellion. And, 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 and forgive us of our own as well, Lord. It is, a, it is a blessing to be a part of that, and I pray that we would not forget that, um, even though we don't talk about this topic very often. We pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.